0: Welcome to the Property Nomads podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Grant. Chris has a plethora of knowledge uh, both in estate management also from an energy performance point of view. Chris graduated and got his first job as an estate agent in East London and rapidly progressed to being branch manager. From there moved into commercial agency specializing in licensed property market. Uh, Played a, a key role in the Uh, beer orders, uh, which saw UK breweries selling off huge tranches of their pub estates to various investment companies. After that, he got straight into building his own portfolio, started with uh, a nice flip and has amassed uh, an investment portfolio worth in excess of £10 million. Uh, Chris, thank you for taking time out today. I understand we're breaking your podcast virginity, if you don't mind me saying so.
1: Yeah, correct, Rob. Yeah, this first time. So uh, yeah, apologies if I'm slightly nervous or stuttering over my words, but uh, yeah, I'll do my best and hopefully impart some of my experience in property over to your, to your listeners.
0: Thank you. And really looking forward to this. And people that would have noticed that we've titled this along the lines of rent to rent and rent to rent service accommodation being at a ticking time bomb. And we'll go into that in... In a minute to be good to get your thoughts again with your experience in the industry uh, but before we do that um, because everyone likes to get started in property talk us through that very first deal that you've done that very first flip and, and how you've managed to grow into having a, such a large portfolio
1: yeah absolutely so i'd i'd left the corporate environment uh sort of clocked up five six years um in estate agency um what I'd noticed certainly during the work that I was doing um, under the Beer Order, so we we were advising a, um, a Japanese bank who were buying up these huge estates, um, and I mean the situation in terms of pubs in particular has worsened really because they're they're shutting at a phenomenal rate, but a lot of the portfolio they were buying um, were ripe for development. Um, you know, we've all seen, you know, multiple pubs now converted into Mm -hmm. flats, um, particularly ones with large areas of land, car parks, where you you just end up seeing the whole pub demolished and, and, you know, sort of small housing estates built there. Um, So that was really where I sort of got some flavor for development but certainly being on the other side of it as an estate agent I was dealing with lots of developers in East London East London typically a marketplace with lots of rundown properties we'd often be selling probate sales um properties in fact I bought myself without you know without any basic bathroom facilities still with an outside toilet um so you know I had a reasonable flavor for the marketplace uh, and also the profits that could be uh, made from that so um when we'd come to the end of the work I was doing um, in the license sector, um, still a relatively young man, lots of energy and, and passion for property. I made that decision to go out uh, by myself and to see if I could make a living doing it. And I was very fortunate at the time um, although sort of 27,000 which was the purchase price of that first property wasn't a great deal of money by sort of modern standards for me at the time it was you know I, I was very fortunate to to tap up my my late father for um, <clears throat> for a chunk of that money convinced him that I could uh, magically turn it into profit overnight and lo and behold that was the case I um approached an agent having seen the property advertised and still remember exactly where it is. It's just on Barking Road, very close to the the home of the mighty West Ham United, or it was at the time. Um, And I can almost still picture the property. And um, it was really at that stage, very much, because I didn't have builders around me at the time that could have undertaken a refurb. Um, uh, It was really a case of going in there, clearing out what was in there, um, just, Sort of tidying the place up a little bit still very old-fashioned um and put it back on the market with a, a different agent um and managed to get it under offer and and show myself a you know a decent profit certainly more than i'd been earning you know a, as a monthly salary as an employee uh, and i'd made it sort of much quicker uh, and for, for a greater amount so that at that point i was kind of i'd got the bug, I was hooked. Um, I still had lots of agency contacts in East London at the time, which did me a few favours. The the only, I guess the only thing to overcome there was the last time that I dealt with all of these agents was really when I was a work colleague or an agent in the same marketplace. Quite a transition to make, to be able to approach them again and say, look, I'm on the buying side now, you know, I've got cash. Oh, Chris, have you got cash? Where's that come from? I haven't got the cash to do it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you sort of start to prove yourself with the agents, then you've got that foot in the door. Um, And when you move on to the refurb side of it, obviously, I'd give them the resales, so they'd be earning twice on any one property. So that's how I sort of built the connections and the relationships I did at the time.
0: Always good to know in terms of, again, with the power team, the network and and these sorts of things, because these are things that you hit, you know, regardless of where you are in property, it's all about not necessarily what you know, but who you know, which is good. And over time, you've built up a portfolio that's say, worth over 10 million pounds. Now, again, I'm, that's great. And congratulations. Uh, some people that are listening to this might only just be getting started in property, and they might think that 10 million is so far off. So uh, if you can, how did you just that up did you change strategy or was it just a case of testing yourself wanting to do bigger or better things now how did you tackle that
1: yeah so I think it's you have to find a balance really because um, in terms of maintaining cash flow obviously you can't keep everything Um, back in when I I started um, you was if you bought at the right price which I was thankful to always be able to do you could undertake your refurbishment work, and pretty much, if you did want to retain that property, pretty much pull all of your money back out of it by refinancing on the enhanced um, uh, property value. Um, I was probably one of the first borrowers um, for Paragon when they entered into the market, and I'm still quite loyal to them now. They had some fantastic refurb products at the time that could effectively forward value Um, the property prior to purchase and, and, and starting work on it. So I had a great relationship with them with their local value as well. Um, So I was always pulling my money out. So if I had, if it it was something that had been refurbed to a decent standard, if it's sold within normally sort of six to eight weeks, which in the right market, it should do um, or certainly be under offer. Fantastic. Then it would be sold and I'd have money back in the bank. Um, If it, didn't sell beyond that point my policy was always at that point to have rented it out so I'd refinance it again still able to pull my money back out um, but move on to the next one so that property portfolio is kind of in many ways legacy property that hadn't sold over the years Um, and even the buy to market uh, buy to let market in those days was you know relatively new there was a rental demand um, but it certainly wasn't as regulated um, uh, you know as it as we see now um so that that was the the strategy really, always being able to pull my money back out, maintaining my capital and to grow on uh grow on that. And then with capital appreciation over, you know, sort of the the, the twenty odd years I've been doing it, um, you know, I've seen that sort of growth. I mean, the portfolio has probably been at, at its peak, um, probably closer to about fifteen million. But you know, I've trimmed it over the years. There's things I've got rid of that weren't performing um, you know, as well as I could have done. And um you know, that sort of um, brought me into where I am now.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, And and again, I really, I really like that because that's a case of, uh, if I've heard this correctly, that you've always, uh, you you make your money when you buy, uh, which I think you've highlighted. You've always gone into it with two exit strategies. So sell ideally, if not, then, you know, still refinance and then rent out. And you've been consistent at it, which is incredibly important uh, no matter what the, uh, you know, economic circumstances are. It just seems that you've been very consistent. And then, as you say, legacy over the last 20 years or so, voila, a bit of capital, pre- well, I imagine quite a lot of capital appreciation uh, given uh, given where those properties are based. Uh, and then that's why, you know, you could be sat here saying, you know, seven, eight figures, because all I've done is I've just started, I've done one and I've just pretty much repeated that process always having your exit strategies
1: yeah no absolutely Robbie it's it's interesting you mentioned the area in which I've operated which is obviously having been born in East London I've kind of stuck to 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 what I knew and I think what was transformational in terms of the capital growth that I've achieved um, was the uh, announcement for the uh, Olympics so I was born probably Less than ten minutes away from the uh, current where the Olympic Stadium stands now, or the the home to the to the mighty West Ham, um, and uh, I remember sitting in my office at the time when we was waiting for the announcement. So Olympics two thousand and twelve, there's always a good couple of years lead time, so it would have been probably like, sort of late two thousand and nine. I remember sitting in my office and the president of the Olympic Committee announcing the city of London. And I always remember exactly how he said it with a French accent. And um, at, really, at that point, I knew that what I was sitting on was, yeah, listen, it had value in it then. But in terms of that regeneration, that's, um was about to happen across East London. I mean, if you go to Stratford now, you literally wouldn't recognise it. Somebody likened it to Dubai the other day, which I think is a little bit ambitious, but certainly in terms of the, <laughs> the volume of of skyscrapers that are there, um, it, you know, it's not a million miles on, off on a sunny day looking in the right direction. Um, So again, that kind of reinforces that, you know, if you are able to tap into what is likely to be an up-and-coming area, with me, it was probably slightly more luck than judgement. But you know, doing enough research, you will find those areas. Whether it's rail line extensions, cross rail, the DLR, HS2, all of these things, you know, have to be on your investment radar if you're, you know, if you're looking for for, for medium to longer term growth. Yeah,
0: the fundamentals, uh, as I read, as I would say, as uh, yeah, HS2. That's until they start building it, and then decide not to build it, and then they might do it. Yeah, uh, but I'm being facetious. But I like my railways. But I uh, point point taken. Again, look at your fundamentals with all of this. So a bit of a bit of a U-turn, or bit of a, a, a curve, or, or whatever. Uh, so rent to rent and rent to rent service accommodation. Now you're in the uh, part of the court where you are saying it's a ticking time bomb, and there's other people out there that will. Disagree with that. There's other people that are gonna agree with that. So let's dive into that. First of all, what is it? What is rent to rent for those that aren't familiar? And why do you think it's a ticking time bomb?
1: Okay. So I discovered this in some ways by chance, in I think it was probably via a Facebook property forum that had this was entitled um R2R and R2SA. There's all these acronyms I didn't fully understand. So I did some, uh, some research and then realized what it was. And essentially, if you own a property, uh, you can enter into an arrangement with a third party who will effectively re-rent out that property. So that property is handed over to them almost wholesale, everything bar the title. They then take, well, in theory, they then take on full responsibility for renting that out. So they would agree a rent with you um, for, let's say, Two thousand pound a month for a you know a house as you would expect. They would then be renting that out at a higher level um, via de- various different means. So it could be just the fact that they you you the, as the owner of the property have been offered you know guaranteed management or no hassle um, sort of letting for the property, and off the back of that you've accepted a lower rent. Um, Or it could be that the individual that's taken that rent has seen the opportunity to uh, rent it out as individual rooms uh, or for short-term accommodation, Airbnb. But ultimately, they'll be profiting beyond it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be offering you the deal in the first place. So... That's essentially what it is. So you you see it advertised as R2R or R2SA, which is serviced accommodation. So that would mean that whatever agreement you had in place, that would give license then to that individual to re-rent out your property. Um, and I think my biggest concern with that is twofold, really. It will possibly work for some people. Um, you know, particularly if you don't have the opportunity to actively manage your own properties. So we, I still manage all of my own properties. I use selected agents in some case, but I've got a great maintenance team around me. I appreciate not everybody's in the position to do that. So it may seem attractive. I think where the issue lies with me, Rob, is that, you know, handing over your property for somebody else to have almost complete control of, um, in times where we've got very an increasingly strict licensing regulations, um, uh, you know, across many local authorities, increasingly strict compliance uh, legislation as well, whether that's gas safety, electrical safety, smoke alarm testings, legionnaires, EPCs, all of the myriad of tests and compliance that's required now. Um, when you're handing over your property, I think the owner of the property can sometimes forget that ultimately they could still be found liable but any compliance issue any public liability issue if there's any safety issues there if any of the tenants for you know for worst case were injured or you, know, you had anything more serious within the property i'm strictly firmly of the view that the liability would ultimately Come back to the owner of that property rather than the what this sort of pseudo landlord that had sat themselves between you and the, the tenants. Um, and I've actually been on the end of that, I've been subject to a prosecution with um, with a local authority in the very early days of um, almost before our, anybody knew what R2R was. Um, I happened to meet an individual who was doing exactly what I've described. It was at that time I'd issued an AST to them, and um, that you don't tend to see that now. There there are specific R to R agreements that exist, um, but you know they fall outside of the law, and this is one of the biggest issues as well. There's some contract law there, but it's not within the Housing Act. Um, and yeah, I was I was on the end of a prosecution, and I had to convince the judge in the particular case. Um, that I'd effectively had no responsibility for that property. It had been handed over to the individual concerned and what had happened at the property should be the responsibility um, of theirs. Um, and it took a lot of doing to persuade the judge. And I don't think you'd get the same answers now if that scenario arose, uh, arose in with, with this current environment we have for, uh, for rent-to-rent. Um, and the, these are all the things that that, that concern me, really. Uh, I think because R2R allows you to have control of a property with very limited capital, other than, say, in some cases, no more than a deposit that you hand over initially, um, I think there's a, a very much an easy money environment that's been created there. That's how people sort of see it. And I, I, I can see that from the forums that I look on in terms of how You know, people were, uh, you know, on there looking for their first rent-to-rent deals. You know, with no experience or background of property. Property is a serious business, not to be taken lightly. You know, you're dealing with people's welfare, healthcare, and um, and putting a roof over people's head, and you know, something like that. Rob, you just can't leave it to chance. You have to take on responsibility, and you know, not just look for the quick turnaround on your money from it.
0: So, in terms of things being um, a ticking time bomb then I'm I'm guessing this this approach is it's coming really from a dare I say like a true landlord's point of view because as you say ultimately and you know the the buck does stop at the landlord I mean I've heard stories years ago I I won't name I won't name the area or anyone involved but I did hear a story from um, a meeting I was at um, a while ago and there had been uh, some form of uh, it was either a gas leak or gas a uh, gas explosion or something like that. No one, no one died. It wasn't like fatal or anything like that, but it done serious, um, serious damage. And uh, I remember the, the landlord saying that they'd woken up in you know all sorts of cold sweats and whatnot because they couldn't remember if the um, if the agent had or hadn't done the gas safety certificate recently. It turns out everything was kosher in terms of all the certification being in place. But as you say, you know, landlords might just hand over their properties thinking, yeah, okay, uh, no more responsibility for me. Where in actual case, regardless of what agents do or don't do or rent to renters do or don't do, it, a court of law nowadays will more than likely say what we've just said. You know, the buck stops at the landlord no matter what happens, no matter what contract you got in place, it's still landlord responsibility. So that, am I right in saying it is that approach that's why... You're saying, actually, Rob, this this is a ticking time bomb here because something serious could happen, and it involves the welfare of a lot of people rather than the the market completely blown up. Per se, is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I mean it's it's actually now a relatively well developed market, and what concerns me is that they're they're. At the moment, there doesn't appear to be enough incidences of it going wrong. Whether they're just being sort of swept under the carpet, um, but you know, I think it, without proper regulation going forward, because it because the whole rent to rent market exists in this sort of sort of hinterland of you know between landlords, tenants, agents. They're they're kind of the the rent to rent guys are sort of floating around between the two. Largely unregulated, you know, so they're not going to be members of uh, Mm -hmm. of ALA or any of the other uh, real estate professional bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's it's it's, people are entering this market, you know, off of a one-day rent-to-rent sort of training course by some so-called property guru um, who's probably, you know, similar. you know, level of experience to half the people that are sitting in front of him anyway, and they, you know, they're the kind of of things that sort of concern me. Um, you know, I, I'm under this whole rent to rent banner as well, and I think you know the other thing is, well, I mean, we we've, we've kind of touched on compliance, but the actual tenancy aspect of it as well. Listen, I I've been I've had recent scenarios of having evictions going on. Particularly at, towards the tail end of COVID, for the best part of two years. So, that gives you an indication of the turmoil within the court system, the bailiff system, four months to get a bailiff in, in many, certainly London boroughs. Um, you know, and the reality is that unless you're, the, the tenancies that are being granted to these individuals um, by the rent to rent operators are absolutely watertight as they need to be. You know, the ultimate landlord is potentially going to find themselves in a position where they've got a tenant that is likely to be there sort of ad infinitum, particularly with changes to Section 21 uh, when they come through. You know, there's potentially we're almost going back to a regulated tenancy environment where somebody is, is granted a tenancy and they, they potentially could be there almost on a lifetime basis. You know, and if you've entered into that with a rent to rent operator, you um, you know your flexibility or options to to then remove that tenant if you was to sell wanting to sell it with vacant possession or move back into the property, you've then lost that. You know you're you're potentially stuck with somebody in a property that you ne- you neither let it to originally know anything about or want there. You know and and these are all the things that are contributing to to this time bomb that uh, that concerns me.
0: Okay, so let's let's take this a, a step forward because that actually plays perfectly into what I had circling circling around in my head. So let's just say you're in that situation and you know someone is in there at X amount of rent, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Now we've seen over the last couple of years interest rates go from call it anywhere between zero and one percent up to five, six, seven percent from for mortgages. So let's just say that there's a, a set of landlords out there who are on these agreements or whatever, and they're in this situation where, let's just say they've got a tenant or direct rent contract, or whatever, pays £1,000 a month. And their mortgage at the moment is on £500 a month. But because of all the economic bits and bobs that are happening, they're now looking or having to refinance. And there's two elements here that I can think of. Number one, let's just say the cost of that mortgage goes to fifteen hundred pounds for argument's sake but they've got a rent to rent agreement at a thousand pounds that has no wiggle room well congratulations you've just shot yourself in the foot because you're now going to be a mortgage prisoner so that could create a whole set of issues uh probably another reason why it's a time bomb as well um and secondly i completely forgot what my second point was but i'll think about it (laughs) i'll think Mm. about it in a minute but certainly from a mortgage point of view that's the thing that would concern me that if you do get caught in that situation, and I know that we'll say, well, that just creates opportunities potentially for people buying, fine, okay, I get that. But I think as you've, you're trying to point out, actually, if you've got a, a good old watertight agreement and someone is in there at a set rent that's got not a lot of flexibility and you're a landlord and you've now got to refinance, you, you could now become a mortgage prisoner. And that is, that is a time bomb in itself.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and you know the the other important thing to to consider is that um, mortgage terms and conditions um, generally, obviously, they make allowances for the property to be let on ASTs, um, but there's very little reference ever to to the ability as as the uh, the, the mortgagee to be able to let on a rent to rent agreement. You know, maybe lenders need to get wise to this because it's clearly it's clearly out there. It, you know, there's clearly you know plenty of growth in that market, but you know, ultimately, if 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 that property you know ends up getting repossessed, then the lender um, then is it finds themselves in a very you know difficult position. You know, when it comes to the rent-to-rent operator, in terms of how you know how do they physically break that agreement and remove them. Um, you know, them or their tenants um that could well be let under asts on you know individual rooms or portions of the property you know how does the lender then um you know remove the tenants and protect their security i i, I think lenders probably really need a wake up call to to the extent of rent to rent that is out there at the moment um you know and it will probably take a test case where a rent to rent operator is is evicted via the courts under agreement that is not an AST um but you know that's uh, again that that will have to happen at some stage um you know without some um, to avoid you know lenders being exposed to this potential risk
0: You also read my mind there, Chris, because that was going to be my exact second point about mortgage companies and uh, the uh, agreements that were in place might go against the principles of the mortgage in the first place. So thank you for uh, helping me uh, read my mind. So Mm. I guess if we're we're summarising, I think that uh, what I would say is, and and I agree, that sometimes when something needs to come to light, it's going to take something bad to happen in order for things to possibly get better um that's probably a good place to start you know i think everyone was completely horrified over grenfell for example with the cladding scandal and all that sort of stuff and i think the more that people unwrap from that the more that, that's not for this podcast but i think you get the point i think people listening to this are going to get the point the more you unwrap is it, um uh yeah not good to say the least so in in effect the ourselves into our landlord's shoes as we as we have done in order to i think if we're going to summarize it quickly is to say that have your eyes open protect yourself and always think about what you're doing before you do it don't just jump in because someone's waving some paper around with um, you know some guaranteed rent you've got to think of these things because ultimately as you've said a few times the buck stops with you the landlord and you could end up in a situation where you've just shot yourself in the foot big
1: time yeah absolutely i think there you know there are in all likelihood decent rent to rent operators out there but certainly if i you know maybe as i sort of advance in years and look to sort of you know hang my property landlord boots up um you know it's it might be something i will consider but if i did my due diligence levels would be sky high so if I was speaking to an operator, I'd want to see examples of properties that they are currently um, renting. You know, I'd want to physically inspect them. I want to check all of their paperwork is in place. I want to make sure certainly they've got their landlord licensing in place if it's a uh, mandatory licensing for that HMO. Um, you know, do proper due diligence on these, because the reality is there's just way too many new entrants into this market that see it as a, you know, a quick, fast buck. Um, you know that I, I think are you know woefully equipped to, to to deal with the rigors of certainly managing serviced accommodation where you've got five tenants in the property. Also, don't forget, you know, the wear and tear on the property as well. You know these handback agreements that say you'll get the property back in the same condition. I've had it with local authority lettings in the past. That property never comes back in the same condition. You know, um, you know, your your beautifully refurbished you know three bed semi. Um, you know, will come back with a coat of magnolia, you know, and probably half the kitchen and bathroom <laughs> missing in a worst case scenario, but, and you know, and that's with the council. If you're dealing with, you know, a, you know, a rent to rent operator that's, you know, offering it return to you in full maintenance. Again, you don't know the level of maintenance that's acceptable. You know, you're not going to get it back quite as it should have been. You know, and and that's when you start to count the pennies. You know, you would have had. The benefit of that guaranteed rent, potentially with no hassle, but you get a property back and you've got to spend 20 grand bringing it back up to scratch. You know, these are all the things you need to consider.
0: Well, I think that's a good place to finish there, Chris. I think it's been incredibly insightful. I've I've certainly learned a lot uh, from from listening to yourself. If people want to get hold of you, get in touch or or find you, how do people find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You'll find me in all social media platforms, um, LinkedIn. Um, my my profile is quite um, strong there, and you'll see some of the other things that I do within the property world as well. Um, again, across all the socials, you're welcome to my office number if you want to put a link in your bio for the, in into, of my bio into into this uh, uh, podcast. That's absolutely fine by me.
0: Absolutely, we will definitely do that. So uh, all your links etc. will be in the show notes, or if you're watching this on YouTube, it will be in the description below. Uh, Chris, well, thank you very much for your time. Uh I say I've learned a lot from that. I think what we've covered in terms of rent to rent, rent to rent essay and, and that area has been very uh, very impressive. But also for people that are looking to get started or only really just got started. Again, I think the the fundamentals, fundamental stories that you've told and the things that you've said, uh, that again, if people follow that, yeah, a bit of knowledge and uh, you know, growing your power team, et cetera, will be useful, but also again nine times out of ten it just comes down to being consistent knowing your area doing your fundamentals and and having good connections so thank you for sharing that and uh, at some point we will uh we'll get you back on the show because we'll uh go into uh, all um, energy performance certificate stuff But that's a, a whole different episode so we look forward to having you back in due course
1: yeah thanks very much